Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. A lot of attention on the 2024 Republican primary and to discuss the candidates and the dynamics of the race, we just had a chance to speak with Hogan Gidley, former White House Deputy Press Secretary under the Trump administration. Hogan Gidley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Hogan, 20, 2016 uh, GOP presidential primary uh, field is starting to fill in. Um, what are your thoughts? Is this going to be anything like 2016, better, worse? What, how are you feeling? Look, I think it's always good to have a very robust conversation about the issues. I, I, would, I would say at this stage, just knowing what I know about the candidates who are in the field, the candidates who are going to enter the field, most all people that aren't Donald Trump are going to say, I'm Donald Trump's policies without his personality, implying that his baggage they don't care for, they like the policies, that's where they're going to be. I would argue that a lot of his personality is what got the policies that so many people liked in this country. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a big field. I think our, our side is well more accomplished. Our, our side is ready to go on day one. The left is struggling with pothole Pete and, and Kamala that, that don't seem to get any traction or any popularity at all. Biden's obviously a mess. So our bench is deep. That's good with Pompeo potentially getting in, Tim Scott, my senator from South Carolina, and so many others. Uh, Vivek is great, uh, really smart guy, obviously Donald Trump. And now he can point to, you know, we don't have to go back to Reagan and say, wow, look how good we were, you know, 30, 40 years ago. We can actually say just two years ago we were this good when we focused on those America first policies. And that really is going to be the big winner here because everyone's pushing for the, the, the prescriptions that really go to improve the lives of all Americans, regardless of race, religion, color or creed, which is what Donald Trump did. Those policies that put this country first are the ones that everyone likes, whether you're Republican, Democrat, black, white, male, female. That's the thing that people want to see from their politicians because they don't really care necessarily on the margins of being far right, far left. They want to know what's going to uplift them. And those policies that Donald Trump put in place are the ones that did just that. So I think they're going to be looking for a return to that and not this woke leftist ideology nonsense with open borders and high crime, um, high taxes and, and you know being subservient to the rest of the world like the Biden administration wants us to be. So I think you can expect a return to that regardless of who the nominee is. Hogan, you mentioned a quite a few names, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. You didn't mention Governor DeSantis. If he gets in, does the Republican Party run the risk of imploding? Oh, no, no. I, I would argue the opposite. I think any time you can highlight the policies that made this country great, uh, that's a good thing, regardless of who the standard bearer is. Look, will there be a fight? Sure. Will it be bloody? Most likely bloody? Sure. But in large measure, uh, DeSantis brings a lot to the table. Governance, good governance of a, of a big state like Florida, very popularly, just won by 20 points. Um, I wish you to come here. I think you, you kind of miss an opportunity to talk to some of the rank and file, the ones who actually do the blocking and tackling needed to win states like, like Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Uh, but there's plenty of time for that. I think um, these people here are so excited to see a return to sanity and, and rational, reasonable policies that, that they're going to be excited, I think, about anybody who comes forward for sure. Now, so you mentioned uh, Trump in your previous answer, and, and it was his personality is in part what got him elected, although people, some people don't seem to think so. A more nuanced question I have for you is Trump's 
you know, wealth and being independently wealthy. Do you think that that has allowed him to kind of withstand the swamp to a certain degree? Because people probably don't really understand, even I don't, the extent of everybody that's coming for you. No question. Um, when you were able to do things like have peace deals that no one thought possible, trade deals that benefited American workers, bring back hostages at, at record rates without giving away the store, making sure other countries paid their fair share in these deals, which is a huge underseller, uh, undersold thing, uh, accomplishment that he did, um, lower taxes, of course, you know, uh, attending the March for Life, uh, putting Supreme Court justices in place, all that happened in the face of 93% negative news coverage. I don't think people understood. When he talked about draining the swamp, he did a great job in draining it. But there are still bottom feeders in that mud and that murk at the lowest levels. And we've seen that now inside places like the DOD or the FBI or those three-letter agencies that targeted someone like Donald Trump, that targets American citizens today. I don't think people realized how deep it actually was. I didn't realize it. I'm not saying I did. And so you need somebody who's going to go in there and say, I don't need this for future political gain. I want this for the future of the country and, and the gain of the American people to succeed in their, in their lives like they haven't been able to the last two years. That matters, I think, to a majority of Americans. And so that personality, you're going to need some of that to fight back just how brutal the onslaught is. Hogan Gidley, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Appreciate the time. And to discuss the state of the economy amidst heightened pressure on the global banking system, in the wake of the Silicon Valley bank collapse, we're happy to have on CEO of Public Square, Michael Seifert. Michael Seifert, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, Michael, we've seen multiple banks now uh, in the United States collapse, literally. Others appearing to have serious intrinsic flaws. Swiss Bank, now we're hearing uh, Deutsche Bank. What are we witnessing here in your uh, view? So let's paint the broader picture. We have, over the past few years, witnessed uh, the total disruption of our economy that was absolutely preventable. If you go back to where this all started with rampant inflation and a uh, mass disruption of our supply chains, it comes back to a fundamental mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic. When we started labeling some businesses essential and other businesses non-essential, we halted the economy in major metropolitan areas around the United States. And then we had to print up enough money just to keep up with uh, any sort of semblance of normal. And then we elect a new politician into office at the federal level who focuses more on ESG and DEI initiatives than, on he, than he does on financial stewardship. And so then when that trickles down through the bureaucratic agencies and ends up affecting major institutions financially in the United States, it becomes this perfect storm. And it's what we've witnessed. And Silicon Valley Bank was obviously one of the most notable at the forefront of this. I think they're a perfect example, a great picture of how uh, dysfunctional our economy is currently operating. Silicon Valley Bank donated $73 million to Black Lives Matter as an organization out of those deposits that they now couldn't cover. So if that tells a story in and of itself, I, I can't do a better job of it. It's just, we have an economy that has taken our eye off the ball. We should be focused on financial stewardship, on frugality, on making sure that our debt does not run rampant. But unfortunately, over the past few years, our government has prioritized the very opposite. Michael, it's such an excellent point that you make, and it was actually going to be my follow-up to you, which is, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk and rumblings about how Silicon Valley Bank collapse was related to reckless 
risk-taking, poor management, but you're making a larger point saying that on a broader scale, it's more fundamental monetary policy that's put us in this situation. Absolutely it is. I mean, the reality is the, the only way that the executives at a lot of these banks are able to get away with this is because the government keeps proving to them that they can. Uh, the fact is that even if you go back to 08, very few people actually paid uh, any sort of penalties for the mismanagement that took place and the risky bets and the overleveraged attitudes that they took toward our money. Uh, the reality is our, mon our modern monetary policy is not working. And the unfortunate thing is, too, it's the small regional banks, the small businesses that trusted those financial institutions that are going to pay the penalty for this. You recognize, and I'm sure your, your viewers do as well that are watching this, that it never ends up being some of the major perpetrators that end up paying for their mismanagement. It's always the little guy down the line. And so it's really time for a reawakening. It's time for reexamining of how we do things in the United States. And uh, the fact of the matter is, when we spend recklessly, when we do not keep a, an eye on our debt ceiling, when we think we're invincible, we get humbled real quick. And unfortunately, the last two weeks has been a grand humbling. So, Michael, to your point, um, how should we be looking at this? Should the American people view these bank bailouts, as you mentioned, as just simply being out of our control? A lot of times we don't think it has anything to do with us, but ultimately we're paying for it and just say the cost of doing business. I'm afraid of this becoming the status quo. And I think over the last two weeks, it started to appear that way. And so the fact is, Americans are paying for these bank bailouts, and you'll have bureaucrats get on TV and tell you that, well, you know, it's actually these insurance policies that banks pay into, and it's not really American. The reality is it's our money. And anytime you have a bureaucracy that's involving themselves in the, uh, in, in the conversation in this way, we have to remember that what's behind the bureaucracy is who actually funds them, which is the American people. So inflation, for example, is a tax on the American people. Reckless spending is a tax on the American people. We are the people that end up having to pay for this. And so the fact that these bailouts have seemed so commonplace and that essentially the message that's been sent over the past two, year, two weeks has been, yeah, kind of do whatever you want. You're going to get away with it. That's really concerning to me. Michael Seifert, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.